Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Hey everyone, welcome back to another amazing episode of For the Love of Money, and I cannot wait for today's episode because I'm sitting down with a longtime friend, Zach Slobin. Now, Zach is one of the most amazing, well-rounded, good-at-everything guys I have ever met in my life, and most people know of Zach as being this multimillionaire in the network marketing world, one of the most successful network marketing coaches out there in the entire industry. I mean, everybody goes to Zach in order to have a breakthrough. Everybody goes to Zach for his leadership. Everybody goes to Zach to learn how to to sell, to learn how to have better feelings around money, better feelings around sharing, better feelings around uh, team building. He's literally the guy that can create breakthroughs for everybody. And so before we get into this amazing episode where we sit down and we talk about his journey, which is going to blow your mind, I just want to remind you that my incredible wife, her book tour is now announced. The locations are posted, the times, the dates, it is all out there. And it took less than a week for all the locations to be over half sold out. And so if you live anywhere near LA, New York, Boston, Minneapolis, or Toronto, make sure you go to a atribecalledbliss.com, scroll to the bottom where all of the book launch events are, click on the city that is closest to you, and buy your tickets before they run out. And remember, every single person who's going to the launch, not only will they get a picture with Lori, not only will they get a, a chance for her to sign their book, but they get two free books upon entering. They get a lecture for a couple hours by Lori on why she wrote the book and what her favorite parts are and, and what lessons she learned and how to launch a book. I mean, she is going to make this a pretty impactful couple of hours for anybody who attends. So again, if you live anywhere near LA, New York, Boston, Minneapolis, or Toronto, go to a tribe called bliss.com, scroll down to the events part, and click on the city that's closest to you and grab your tickets before they are sold out. All right, so I'm about to sit down with Zach Slobin. And I already told you in the beginning that he is literally one of the most well-known, the most successful individuals in the network marketing, marketing profession. Now, he's got a story that's going to blow your mind. You see, he hasn't always been at the top like this. He's, not, he's had not just one low, but two significant lows. And we go deep. We talk about how did you feel during those lows, Zach? How did you ever see the light at the end of the tunnel? How did you ever find your way out? And after he's done inspiring you, any of you that might feel stuck, any of you that might feel that you're at a low point, when he's done inspiring you, we then take it up a notch and we talk about what is your best practice for selling? What is your best practice for having a healthy money mindset? What is your best practice for leading a team? And why do you love the network marketing profession so much? Why does it get a bad rap and yet you sing praises about it? I think you guys are going to love this episode no matter what industry you're in. If you, are in, in. if you are in an industry that requires you to sell or lead a team or get your message out there or have self-confidence or get through some low points, 
then this is the episode for you. So get ready, pay attention, take some notes because this episode could change your life. Here we go. All right, Zach, my man, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic. It's good to be here. Dude, I have been looking forward to this conversation for quite some time. And, and you and I have kicked it around a few times to have it. We're waiting for the time to be just right. But here's why I've been excited. Here's why the listeners should be excited. At the end of the day, when I make a very short list of people that I would go to for advice, a very short list of people that I could have any conversation with, and it wouldn't be judged. I know I would get really good feedback. Uh, even if I disagreed with the feedback, it's there for my taking without any attachment. You are on that list. And so I just can't wait to see what unfolds for all the other people that get to kind of eavesdrop on our conversation about money mindset, network marketing, everything else that we have in common. Well, considering the, the network of people that you have around you and the tribe that you've built, that's obviously really humbling. And uh, you have as much as I've been a friend to you, you've also been an incredible friend to Eden, my wife, and I since since day one a couple of years ago. And so I'm just excited to participate in this with you, man. Really excited. Can't wait. All right. So um, if you haven't listened to my show in a few episodes, I've kind of switched to something new. I do a rapid fire session in the beginning because I feel like it's a fun way for the listeners to get to know you in a hurry. And then if there's something really cool that comes up or really deep that comes up that we want to circle back around on and do a deep dive on, then we'll turn back around on that as we get later in the show. So you in, you want to do a quick little rapid fire session? Let's roll. All right. We're going to start with easy stuff first. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in the San Fernando Valley, which is North County, Los Angeles. And where do you live now? La Jolla, California. God, it's beautiful there. I'm jealous. I know you try and get us to move down there quite a bit. It's only a matter of time. Never say never. I know you always say it's only a matter of time. What is one of your superpowers? Uh, it's so funny. I was just on an interview the other day and they asked me the exact same question. And I think my superpower, if I had one, and I don't know how super it is, is I'm able to see, I'm able to see pieces of a puzzle move in ways that other people might not consider. So the best analogy I can give to it is, do you ever watch two people play chess or checkers? Mm -hmm. And so you, if you're watching them play, you know, the moves they should make. It's just so obvious to you. But if you're sitting at the same table with the board right in front of you, you might not make those moves. And for whatever reason, I've learned how to kind of remove myself from the situation so I can see what a couple of moves uh, might do one way or another. Ooh, that's a good superpower. First time I've heard that one too. What's one thing that you're afraid of right now? One thing that I'm afraid of right now? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good question. That's a good question. I don't know. I've I, I really learned to not live in fear of anything. So, I, you know, I don't know. Someone, we were in a conversation today with somebody and they said, it seems like you're never stressed about anything. And I said, I just don't see any point in being stressed about anything. So I can't say that there's anything I inherently am afraid of in this moment. I love it. And that's because you've learned the tools to manage that. What is one of your favorite books? Oh, okay. So, you know, I, that's like a juicy question for me. Uh, I'd say that there are three of my favorite books. So Ask and It's Given, it's Abraham Hicks. Uh, the Big Leap by Gay Hendricks and Untethered Soul by Michael Singer are three of my favorites. You got me to read The Big Leap and I freaking loved it, like Breakthrough Central. Mm -hmm. Who is someone who's changed your life? Who is someone that's changed? My mom. My mom has had such a massive impact on me and I've had incredible mentors. Uh, I've, I've, I've been really blessed to have incredible mentors in my life, but my mom has made a significant impact for me for sure. Oh, I love that. And one regret that you have. 
only one, and there is only one regret, is I had the opportunity to travel to and study abroad in Spain my junior year of college. And I, I basically, at the very last minute, pulled out because I was starting to have a little thing for a girl. And I decided to stay back instead of going and traveling in Spain for six months. That's my interesting. One. You know, that's similar to me. I actually went. I made my my college choice, which I eventually got kicked out of, based on staying home for a girl who's obviously a long time out of my life now. It's funny how that happens, huh? Totally. And point. what is something generous that you've recently done? Something generous that I've recently done. Yep. Um, I feel like I oh I flew to Australia to speak at an event. Uh, for which I had absolutely zero vested interest whatsoever. I love that. And I heard it was a smashing success. What is one of your all-time favorite accomplishments this far? Marrying my wife. <laughs> That's a good answer. And actually knowing you, I know it's a legit answer. I love that. Yeah. All right, so let's go a little bit deeper into the interview. That gave us a few good starters. But I actually want to start with your upbringing. Because a lot of people know your story now, but not a lot of people know what's behind your story. And you're one of the most curious, one of the most well-studied, philosophical individuals that I know. That's why I could sit and talk to you for days, just putting a subject on the table and going down a rabbit hole. It's one of my favorite things to do with you. Mm. But where did this come from? I think I've always had a really um, inquisitive nature, but again, it goes back to my, it really goes back to my mom. So my mom is a very successful psychotherapist in the Los Angeles area. And from a very young age, she taught me the importance of listening more than I spoke and to be naturally curious about the world and about people so that I can really learn compassion and empathy at a young age. And so I've just always been fascinated by the human experience. I think that's one part of it. I think the other part of it is because I was raised in a you know, not in a very religious culture, but still in a, in a somewhat religious upbringing, even though it was just reformed, I was still very, I didn't buy into a lot of what I was being fed. And so I just started to question how certain things I was learning could be true when my life experience was telling me something totally different. So I started to challenge my beliefs and the rules that I was being brought up under at a very, very young age. And I remember, I mean, Specifically, when I was eight years old, one of my closest friends was diagnosed with and then died of leukemia a year and a half later. And I just found that there was this huge disconnect between these religious leaders that were telling me that God was all loving and all knowing and all powerful. And here I am at eight years old going, well, if, if God is all loving, like, why would you let my best friend die? You know, and so I just immediately started to kind of look to pierce the veil of the guidebook that I was being told to follow. Man, that makes so much sense knowing the way that you operate now. And it also makes sense why you said your mom was the person who had the biggest impact on your life because she shaped one heck of a ninja brain in there that you now use today. I'm, I'm curious, it'll be kind of a side topic, but what is a belief that you're questioning now? Whether or not I want to have children. Ah, yeah, we've had that conversation a couple of times. It's, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a fascinating conversation to have too. So here you are today, you're known as one of the best leaders in all of network marketing, not just in the company that we share, but also literally in the industry. And you've had a lot of years in the industry. And I can attest to this claim that I'm making because I've seen you in action for a number of years now. I don't know if it's been four or five years that we've known each other, but every single thing I've seen you do, I've been totally impressed with. Now, I know also that it hasn't always been this way. It hasn't always been this successful. 
Can you kind of share the story how you got into the industry? Sure. <laughs> it definitely hasn't always been this successful. <laughs> uh, I was actually first introduced to network marketing when I was 15 years old. My parents divorced because my dad financially, his business, his traditional business fell apart. And that was one of the big reasons they divorced was money. And when they divorced, one day he says to me, he goes, don't worry, Zach, I'm going to put my life back together. At the time, my brother and I were sharing a twin size bed at his buddy's condo when we go to visit him. So like he had one twin bed, my brother and I shared another one. He had no money. He was dead broke. And as he started to slowly try and put things back together, he's like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get into this business. It's going to be great. Come with me. I want to show you something. And he takes me to this factory in, in Oxnard, California. And we walk into this little factory and he shows me these toys and inside, or excuse me, he shows me a bar of soap and inside the bar of soap, there's this little plastic toy. And he goes, he goes, we're going to sell this. We're going to sell this. And then people, they're going to, they're going to sell it to their friends and they're going to sell it to their friends. The idea was that when a kid was done using this bar of soap, they'd be left with this plastic toy. And I was sitting there going, this is the most idiotic thing I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> network marketing is a joke. So when I was 15 years old, I made the decision that network marketing wasn't for real business owners or real entrepreneurs. No way. And um, fast forward a few years later, I had moved to San Francisco, California, and I was doing consulting for a real estate company. And one of the women, she was one of the most powerful mortgage brokers in the city. She was, she was my number one target as a client I was looking to acquire. And I literally called her seven times, like cold called her seven times. And finally, she was like, all right, come meet with me. And in our very first meeting, she said, I don't think you should be doing what you're doing. I think you should come work with me. I want to start a business. And the business was in the, in the equity um, insurance industry. And so she said, here's going to be the agreement. And we had a handshake deal. And the deal was that she'd pay me a very small salary every month, and then I'd earn 10% of every policy that I brought in. Well, after nine months of building a website for her, writing all the copy, doing lunch banquets, the whole deal, I'm giving you the story behind the story, right? Because I think that's what's important yep. in terms of how I got to the industry. Um, four days before Christmas, she calls me in her office, and I had secured a $2 million policy. And um, she calls me in her office and she goes, hey, I just want to write you a little check to get you through the holidays. And she starts to fill out the check and it goes two, zero, zero. And she stops at $200, slides the check across her desk and goes, thanks, kid. You're out. What? Mm -hmm. And I was, I was, I mean, you know me at first, my ego was like, I don't need your money. Forget it. Like you're a piece of crap, blah, 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 blah. I'll show you. And I left. And um, I got in my car, I drove home, and because I know I can be completely transparent on this podcast, what I did was instead of kind of, you know, putting together a resume or anything like that, I, I, I actually packed a huge bowl in my pipe and smoked <laughs> really high. I got really high. I'm just being completely honest because that's, you know me, that's how I am, right? Yep, like, totally. It's part of your story. I'm not embarrassed by it. So, so I'm really high. I call my mom, I say, here's what happened. She said, honey, why don't you just come back down to LA for a couple of days, let's just kind of figure out what's next. And I said, okay. And this is where that first book comes into my life. So I look at my bookshelf and I see a copy of this book called Ask and It's Given. And I go, ah, oh, that's one of those like personal development, woo woo self-help books. But I'm sitting there going, what's the worst that could happen, right? So I pick up the book and 
I'll never forget. I get on the plane from Oakland to Burbank. The plane hits the tarmac at Burbank. I get jolted awake and I feel this overwhelming sense of calm and peace because for the first time in my life, I'm learning about the law of attraction and source energy and how I create my reality. And it just spoke to me in ways that a book had never spoken to me before. And I walk into my mom's house and I'm like, mom, I'm going to be just fine. Don't worry. Law of attraction. What I focus on expands. I create my reality. And I remember my mom's a traditional psychotherapist. So she's going like, okay, that's great, honey. But I really think we should talk about your feelings here. You know, (laughs) I feel great. Don't worry. And I said, I'm just going to go back to San Francisco. I'm going to get a sales job because I know I got to get, got to make some money. So I walk into this call center and the manager at the time. And when you talk about people that change your life, he's one of them. The manager at the time, him and I just start to talk. And one day he says to me, Zach, you don't drink coffee. He said, sorry, Chris, he says, he said, Zach, I don't drink coffee. You drink coffee. I want you to come take a look, to come take a look at a business opportunity with me. Come with me next Saturday to San Jose. I said, okay. So I drive down with him to San Jose, California. I'm sitting in this big executive boardroom and these gentlemen start passing around trays of coffee. And it was one of the best cups of coffee I'd ever had in my entire life. And they start talking how we're going to import this coffee from seven different countries in Africa. And I'm sitting here now, I'm 24 years old, Chris, and I'm sitting here going like, I'm going to be a millionaire in the next two days. This is amazing because who doesn't drink coffee, right? And a guy goes, and we're going to distribute it using network marketing. And I shrink up in my chair, I fold my arms, and I literally just shut off for the rest of the meeting. In my mind, network marketing was the joke of the way my dad was going to put his life back together. And a guy pulls me aside that day and he says, Zach, you don't know this yet, but you have the potential to be one of the most powerful networkers I've ever met in my life. He said, go home and do your research on the network marketing profession. And if you really get what this business model is all about, if you really understand it and you still decide that it's not for you, then no big deal will part as friends. And I said, that seems reasonable. That seems fair enough. And so I went home that day and I Googled and I saw the good, the bad, and the ugly. But I came across a video by a guy named Tim Sales called Brilliant Compensation. And it was the first time in my life where I really understood that the only way to create true leverage as an entrepreneur or as a business owner was to create an environment in which everybody has an equal amount to gain. And that's what I saw with network marketing. And that's when I took, I tell people this all the time. It's like the, it's like the matrix. It's like Morpheus, right? When he says, if you take the blue pill, you stay, you know, you can stay in the matrix, create whatever you want, take the red pill, you go back to the way life is. Well, in my opinion, when you really understand network marketing and you take the blue pill, to me, it's the only, it's the it's it's one of the best business models around. It just is, and that's when I fell in love with it, and so that's how I got into the industry. I'm really curious because uh, I want to go down that network marketing alley in a minute here. But when your parents got divorced over money, and then you went on to live with your dad, and you said he was totally broke, how did you feel about money during that time? How did you view money at that point in your life? I had a really interesting dichotomy. So I was with my dad Tuesdays and Thursdays and every other weekend. And I was with my mom on Mondays and Wednesdays and every other weekend. So with my dad, I experienced what it was like to scrape for change and be broke. And with my mom, it was nice restaurants, good dinners at home, didn't go for, didn't want for anything. And the way I felt about money at the time was I recognized early on that money was a tool. 
Money was a tool and that money had the ability to affect the ways in which people lived their lives. It was just as simple as that. I, I recognized early on that money didn't make or break who you were as a person, but money could certainly impact the ways in which you could experience life. And I just knew from a young age when I was witnessing all this that I wanted to be, I wanted to be in a place where I was financially affluent. And so you took that idea at a young age and you kind of coupled that up with the book, Asking It Was Given, and, and that kind of opened up the gates for you, right? In some ways, but let's go, I'll go a little bit deeper just so we can. I also, I also knew one day that I wanted to have a family, Chris, and I wanted to be married. And I was also driven by the fact that I never wanted to have happen for me once I met the woman in my dreams, what happened with my dad. Oh, of course. I never wanted to have money be the reason that my marriage wasn't successful or that my family broke up. So that was a big motivator for me. Wow, of course. I can totally identify with that. That makes sense. So here you are in network marketing and you got your money on lockdown. You guys are absolutely crushing it. And you're a huge advocate for the industry now. Why is that? Like, what do you see in network marketing that makes you so confident about it and that you like so much about the industry? It goes back to the story about my, my mom and my dad. So that day when I was doing research, I came across a statistic that said the divorce rate, and I don't know if this is true or not, it just forever has impacted me, and I think it is. <laughs> but I also drink a lot of Snapple, you know, so there are a lot of interesting statistics. <laughs> um, I saw a statistic that said the divorce rate in the United States would be reduced by 50% with an additional three to $500 a month brought into the household. I've always heard that, and I totally believe it, by the way. Yeah. And I thought in that moment, I, I sat there and I looked at that stat and I said, okay, wait a minute. So I understand that not everyone is going to hit a financial home run in network marketing, but what you're telling me with this business model is that if I can help the average person earn an additional three to $500 a month by learning some new skills and distributing a quality product, if I can show them how to do that, I have the ability to increase the likelihood of them keeping their family together by 50%, if not more. That's, that's my mission. That's, that's what it was for me. So yes, it was the leverage and it was the residual income. And I also believe that there's this seesaw battle that we experience in life, which says, if I want more free time, I typically have to sacrifice money. If I want more money, I have to sacrifice free time. And I, I do believe that network marketing is one of the few things that I've ever seen where you can increase the amount of money you make while increasing your free time simultaneously. But more than that, it's just, it's, it's can I show that person who I know is suffocating financially, who I know their number one stress is money. Can I show them without having to go back to school, without having to buy real estate, without having to you know, roll the dice in the stock market, without having to have overhead, without having to get a part-time job, can I show that person how to make an additional $500 a month and maybe, just maybe, help their lives be a little bit better? And I just don't know how else I can do that outside of network marketing. So for me, it's the financial impact I'm able to help make on the day-to-day -day person's life. And that goes hand in hand with everything that this podcast kind of represents. And that is success through generosity, right? The common thread of generosity in everyone's success stories. And there's nothing more generous than building your own wealth by helping other people build theirs. I absolutely love that. So then why does the industry get such a bad rep? If, it, if it's all this and more, why does it get such a bad rap? I think it gets a bad rap the same for the same reason that that chiropractors get a bad rap if somebody has a has a bad adjustment or if um, car salesmen get a bad rap if someone has a bad car buying experience or if you know little kids go to the dentist and say it hurt when the dentist you know 
drilled my cavity. And so they go home and tell their little brother and say, don't, you know, the dentist is going to be painful. Don't go to the dentist. I think that we're very quick in our society to spew whatever we need to when we have a negative experience and we're not so great about sharing when we have a positive experience. And I just think that one of the biggest reasons that there's a bad rap is because you've had some, you've had some bad operators out there, you know, you've had just like you will in any industry. You know, it's not like lawyers have the best reputation in the world. You know what I mean? Depending on what side of the fence they sit on. And then the other side of it is a lack of education and a lack of information. And that's typically what drives people to be fear-based in anything, you know, whether it be politics, religion, business, sports, doesn't matter. I think when there's a lack of education and a lack of information and a lack of people doing things the right way, people get exposed to what they believe to be the, the reality of an environment when we've seen time and time again, just through results that the opposite's true. You just use the term fear-based. And one of the biggest things that stops people from participating in an opportunity like this is that they are fearful of what other people are going to think about them, or they're fearful about what other people are going to say about them. How do you help somebody get past that fear? I tell people those same people are going to talk about them anyway, so you might as well give them something worth talking about. <laughs> Isn't that the truth, actually? Yeah, I just, I don't know. I mean, you know, I just ask them, I say, look, I say, I say, I just ask them a question. I say, are you willing to, are you willing to, are you willing to use their opinions to pay for their lifestyle? Because if you buy their, if you buy their opinions, you buy their lifestyle. It's just that simple. So if you want to, if you want to subject yourself to their, to their judgment of you or their, their, their choice, their thoughts on your choice in your life, and that's what you want your life to be a reflection of is their opinion, then by all means, sit back and be a spectator. That's totally fine. But ultimately, what I talk about a lot is that, you know, like Lori's book that just came out, obviously, right, A Tribe Called Bliss, and so much conversation about tribes these days. But the reality is, is that when we leave our tribe, our initial tribe, the one that we're born into, the one that we kind of tacitly consent to being a part of, when we leave that tribe, people become very, very scared. They get really concerned about what it means for them. And people tend to see a reflection in your big moves as a reflection of their small moves. And unfortunately, that is projected through, it can be projected through fear mongering, it can be projected through anger, or sometimes it can be projected by them saying, thank you for going first, like this excites me and I wanna do this with you. Wow, that piece of advice you just gave is absolutely relevant. I don't care what kind of business someone's starting. That piece of advice right there will free people up to move forward, no matter who's going to judge them, no matter what anyone is going to say that's so good. So back to your story, you know, we've established it's a great industry, you had a really good start, but something happened in that coffee company that kind of left you high and dry. Do you mind going there? Yeah, not at all. I mean, the <laughs> so everyone's excited. Everyone loves the coffee. I'm going to be a millionaire, you know, like I'm killing it. My mom's saying, just be mine. You know, Zach, the coffee's great. Just be careful, honey. Are you sure you can trust these people? Don't worry about it, mom. Don't worry. It's all good, blah, blah, blah. And like six months in, all of a sudden, my customers start calling me and saying, hey, Zach, my, my shipment didn't come. And I'm like, okay, no big deal. Let me just call and find out what's going on. And then like another phone call comes in the same day. Hey, Zach, my, uh, my coffee didn't come in. Now, these are all friends and family. And it's like my parents' friends and family too, right? That I've, that I've gotten started as customers. And I call my partner, the guy who brought me down to the meeting that day, who I, I love and have, I mean, I love him to death. And I was like, hey, what's up, man? And he goes, yeah, he goes, uh, CEO took off with the money. So that was it. Six months in, CEO took the money. 
what were you thinking? What, how were you feeling? Um, embarrassed, ashamed. Uh, I felt like I was, um, I felt like I was a huge letdown. I felt like I didn't know, I started to question whether or not I should be an entrepreneur at all. Uh, cause this was kind of like two strikes in my mind, you know, cause first the business with the, with the financial company and now this, and, um, you know, I, uh, that's how I was feeling. And then I coped by smoking a lot of pot. And quite frankly, at that time I was living in San Francisco doing a lot of cocaine. And how old were you? 20, still 24. It was all in that same year. I just turned 25. Holy crap. That's a hell of a year. So how in the world did you pull out of being that low? I responded to a Craigslist ad. <laughs> <laughs> Expand on that. I saw a Craigslist ad and I looked at it and it's the reason I was on Craigslist is because my ex at the time said, Hey, you got to go get a job. And I said, okay, no worries. I'll go get a job. And, um, I, cause I had also been playing poker to support myself as well. And, um, I agreed to get a job. And so I was looking at ads and I saw this little link and I knew it was a network marketing opportunity just based on the way it was written, <laughs> you know? And I was like, don't respond, don't respond. And I just couldn't help it, but I responded. And uh, I got on the phone with this woman named Shannon. And um, again, talk about people that have changed my life. She's one of them. And we just get to talking and she's like, look, you're asking me questions that no one's ever asked me before. My fiance and I were flying up to San Francisco. They were living in Newport Beach at the time. We're flying to San Francisco. We're killing it with this company. We're doing a presentation. Will you just come meet us? And I was like, look, it sounds great. But at the time... I had about $300 in my bank account. And I said to her, I was like, look, I know about your company. I know it's a $20,000 investment to get started in. Um, I just, I don't think I'm who you're looking for. She said, you're absolutely who I'm looking for. No expectations, just come meet us. And I went to this presentation and it was all about real estate investing. And there was a direct sales component tied to it. And I was like, this is just genius. And I just got excited again, you know? And after three weeks of kind of back and forth with them and really learning to believe in them and the company and things like that, I raised $20,000, $22,500 to be specific to join that company. And it was a real estate investment education company. So at 25 years old, I raised over $20,000 with no money to my name, right? I just got really creative in terms of, my, in terms of creative financing because at that point I had learned to, I had started to learn abundant thinking and creation and things like that. So I just put it together basically. And uh, that was my next company. And I got off to a really uh, painfully slow start. I didn't make money for months in that company. So now I'm another $22,500 in debt. My entire family and social circle is literally thinking that I should be committed to a loony bin. Um, and I just had this steadfast dream of, of being successful, of being wildly successful. And I just didn't know how it was going to happen. And so after um, eight months, I finally put it together. I ended up making about a quarter million dollars in that company between the real estate and direct sales that I was doing with that company. But because it was tied to real estate, when the real estate market crashed, so did the company. And here's another low point. Well, that was just the beginning of like the most significant low point of my life. So uh, at the time, my ex and I had, um, I had just proposed to her about seven months earlier. We had $80,000 cash in the bank when the company crashed. We blew through that $80,000 in six months. And then two weeks after save the date invitations to our wedding were sent out, we called off the wedding. Jeez. And uh, at 27 years old, I was dead broke and I moved back on my mom's couch. And that was by far the biggest low point in my life, by far. 
Wow. Okay. So where do you go from there? I mean, here, I thought your most significant low point was 24. You know, you're, you're wrapped up in drugs, you're broke, everything yeah. seems to have failed. And here you are at an even lower point. Where, how in the world did you dig out of that? Um, for a while, I didn't think I was going to. Um, there were absolutely days where the conversation in my head sounded something like, you idiot, no woman is ever going to love you. Everybody was right about you. You're a loser. You don't deserve to live. Um, the two most painful questions I used to ask myself every single day would be, or what would be the least painful way for me to kill myself? And what would be the least painful way for my mom to find me every day for weeks on end? So before I pulled myself out, it was pretty dark, you know, and I'm sharing with all of you that are listening to this because I just want you guys to get that. It, this is reality. This is real life, you know, in terms of what was going through my mind at that time, because I was a person when I was 24 and doing drugs and all that stuff, it was ego that was carrying me through. I wore this huge mask of arrogance that was like, oh, it's no big deal. Like, you know, successful people go broke all the time. Like I'm going to make it, blah, 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 blah. And it was arrogance. But the, but the shield of ego that I built up and I'd started to do some really deep personal development around that time as well, my mask got ripped straight off straight off. So I'd been humbled in a way that I'd never thought I would. So I was exposed. And that's how it was. That's how it got worse before it got better. But going back to my mom, my mom would come into the den where I'd kind of set up shop on her couch every day. And she'd say, Zachy, she'd say, just put one foot in front of the other and just take little baby action steps, just little tiny baby steps every single day. And it started with me just going to the gym. She said, just go to the gym, just take the baby step of going to the gym. Cause for two hours at the gym, I could put music in my ears and I could lift weights. And just for two hours, I could just be still in that moment where I didn't have to think about all of my world having just collapsed around me. And so it was on the strength of her. And it was on the strength of a friend of mine that called me one day and he said, Zach, I love you. He said, you can either go through this or you can grow through this. It's your choice. And when he said that, it hit me square between the eyes. And I just completely started to shift my perspective back to who I wanted to become. I started to get really grounded in my seeking of a spiritual foundation of, uh, uh, for me, what that looked like at the time. Um, I went to work in ways I never thought I'd be able to work. I, I, I dug as deep as I thought I could possibly dig. And then once I got to that point, I dug even deeper. And that's how I dug my way out of that hole. That's amazing. And, and here you are, you know, today, the guy standing on top of the world, the guy that I know who I go to for advice when I want to go down the rabbit hole about something. And so much of that knowledge comes from digging your way out of this low point and all the work that you had to do since then. So the last question I'll ask you around it is this. What do you have to say to anyone who's listening right now who feels as stuck as you were or at a low point like you were at? Yeah, I'd, I'd say this. I'd say that if I'd say that, and I'll, I'll say it to you, and it, it sounds trite because when people used to say it to me, it used to drive me crazy. Um, you're exactly where you're supposed to be and that everything you deserve, you can have and everything you have, you deserve. Wow. And I know that's a painful thing to share with you right now if you're listening to this and you're stuck. And I know that it's hard for you to hear that what you have is something that you deserve. But the reason you deserve it is because there's some sort of massive gift in it for you. So what I would invite you to do is start to ask that question. Start to ask yourself the question to which you will not get an immediate answer of 
what's the gift in this? There must be some kind of an amazing opportunity, something incredible just must be right around the corner if I'm experiencing this. God, universe, source, whatever your faith is, if there is any faith for you whatsoever, there must be something incredible waiting for you right around the corner. Because here's the other thing I'll tell you, if you weren't meant for something greater, you wouldn't have survived that one thing that you thought was going to kill you. Wow. That is just the most, you know, thoughtful sharing for you to share your story and, and then give that type of advice for anyone who feels stuck. Thank you for being vulnerable enough to do that. Now, you and I have had so many discussions about so many epic things. I always say that you're so good at everything that it's hard for you to choose one thing to go get really, really good at. We've had a lot of discussions around that. And so there's so many directions that I want to take this podcast still because you are so knowledgeable and so good at so many things. And first, I want to take it towards the direction of leadership. You're one of the best leaders I know. What makes you such an effective leader? Maybe I, it might be the I, maybe it might be the fact that I don't I don't look at myself as a leader. I don't, and I don't say that from a from a degrading space. I understand the role that I play, and I understand the influence that I have, and I don't take that lightly by any means. But what I mean by that is, I I, I really believe that I I help people feel and understand that I'm not above them in any way, shape, or form. And I'm perfectly comfortable in saying that I'm walking right beside you in any given moment. Yes, I might be one or two steps ahead of you because of my experience or my skills that I've learned or, or, or something along those lines. But I really do believe in empowering people to understand that I'm not leap years ahead of you or anybody else. And so that might be the one thing that, that, that makes me a great quote unquote leader, as you would put it, which is very you know, flattering of you to say that about me. Um, and maybe it's this, I don't know, like, I just, I believe in people. Like, I just believe in, I believe in, I believe in people. I believe in, in human potential. I believe that I, I could get off my mom's couch, then, then so can you, you know what I mean? And, um, I think it's that, I think it's a, it's a willingness to hold the space of possibility for anybody, no matter what point they're at in their lives, if they're willing to raise their hand, take accountability for the ways in which they've created the reality of their life as it is right now. And they're willing to take a new action towards the things that they say they want. I'm curious, and, and you and I have talked a little bit about this in the past, but when I watch you lead, you lead all the teams in network marketing, not just yours. As a matter of fact, you put it out there for all businesses to follow, not just all teams. Why are you so generous and so open with your leadership? I believe I have a vested interest in everybody's, I believe I am financially tied to everyone. That's why. I really have a, an abundance. I, I, I just really believe I'm financially tied to everyone. So let's use network marketing, then we can move into other businesses as well. Like if you're in network marketing and you get on one of my trainings and you're not a part of our organization or whatever, and you get on my training and because of something you learn and then take action on and implement, you're able to then retire from you know, your corporate career or you're able to bring your husband home from work or whatever it may be. And that creates a new story of success well, the best networkers in the world are the greatest storytellers. That's how we get paid. We get paid by our ability to tell stories. So if I can help you create a new empowering story, then I'm financially tied to you. I have a vested interest in your success. But more than anything, Chris, I just want to see people win. Like, I just, I believe that life is way too short to get caught up in competition. And I really just believe that there's enough for everyone. And that if people would just let go of their egos and, you know, choose, um, 
impact over income, then one, you'll make more money than you know what to do with. But two, I really think it would trickle into so many other areas of the world when it comes to poverty and war and, and religious, you know, and religious wars and political battles and the whole thing. When, when people feel good and feel like they're living as their highest selves, if you will, that creates a better planet for me to be a part of. So if I can, if I can play a small, small role in the development of just one person at a time to make that shift, whether it's in my lifetime or, you know, if I have children, my children's lifetime, but certainly in my partner's children's lifetime or my niece and nephew, if it's in their lifetime, then that's what I want to do. Cause I call me a, call me a, you know, a, a dreamer, but I believe in utopia. Why oh utopia? I really do. I believe that people do stand the chance of finding a significant level of inner peace and inner, inner harmony and inner joy that they deserve to experience in their lives. And if I can participate in the creation of that through teaching people how to make more money or feel more joy in their lives, then why wouldn't I do that? You know, you gave a, a little nugget, a little gift in there, and I want to make sure everybody caught it. And that is, you said, we are all financially tied together. And that's a big money mindset breakthrough once people realize that. Every single thing you do, you're tied together to the rest of the people on this planet. And you're either going to make everyone's situation better, which will pay you back, or you're going to make it a little bit worse, which will pay you back. So which side of the coin you want to be on, right? Exactly. It's the butterfly effect. It absolutely is. So it's going to feel like we're bouncing around. But like I said in the beginning, your dad's just so damn good at so many things. There's a couple of things I wanted to touch on and, and give everyone these gifts. And the next one is the way you present on stage. Or the way you present on Facebook Live. And now listen, we have mostly entrepreneurs that listen to this. And Facebook Live and presenting on stage is a must-do if they're going to move forward in their business. The way you do it is so damn good. One of the best teachers I've ever seen. One of the best confidence up there I've ever seen. And always entertaining. Keeps everybody engaged. So my question is this. Most people struggle with this. Most people say it's their biggest fear in the world. How can people get to where you're at when it comes to being comfortable in front of the camera or on a stage. Eden has a quote. My wife Eden has a quote that I love and it's an anonymous quote. And she says that there's no glory in the practice, but without the practice, there is no glory. And I think the same thing goes for speaking. And I don't think that people are scared of speaking. I don't. I, I don't buy that. I don't think that people are scared of speaking. I think people are scared of the, the suspected outcome of whatever it is that they say, meaning I think that they fear people not accepting their message. They fear people's judgment. They fear the rejection of, of people. And I get it because when I first started speaking, my, my hands used to shake, like not like kind of like, oh, I felt like I was shaking inside. Like my hands would physically shake when I first started speaking. And it was just literally repetition. And the reason I was committed to doing it was because I had a mentor, Ryan, who said to me, he said, Zach, the person who holds the mic makes the money. And I said, okay, I got to learn how to do this then. The person who holds the mic makes the money. So let me learn how to speak. And I just started to study all these other speakers. And here's what I'll say to anybody that is scared of speaking or scared of rejection or scared of anything, quite frankly, like scared of Facebook life. <laughs> to Facebook Live. Like, God, I, I mean, Facebook Live is what an amazing gift to so many entrepreneurs. But I'll challenge you to say that if you're scared of Facebook Live to share your vision, your message, your business, whatever it is, if you're too scared to go on Facebook Live and share it, maybe you don't believe in your business as much as you say you do. That's number one. That's number one. If you're not willing to go out and promote it, don't expect anybody else to. That's number one. But number two is 
check back into your why. Why did you start your business? Why are you an entrepreneur? Why are you building a business in the first place? What is it that you're really after? Like, what's that emotional anchor that gets you up every single morning that I'm sure you've heard on dozens of other podcasts or dozens of other interviews? Because it's important. It's important to have something that you're really connected to. And let me just ask you a question, and that's this, is that when you lay on your deathbed, what's, what's scarier? What's scarier? Laying on your deathbed, laying on your deathbed and looking back on your life and wondering what if, or the possibility that some people aren't going to like what you have to say on Facebook Live. Like, which one's scarier? <laughs> Easy answer. Right? And I think it's important to break it down to the ridiculous and take things to extremes because if you don't anchor into something to move you forward into taking action so you can actually learn the skills and develop new habits, then... Then, then, then how are you going to kind of shift that state or, or create a pattern interrupt in our mind when, our, when that kind of voice gets going? We're going to have to nickname this the uh, Breakthrough Podcast, by the way, because there's going to be so many little subjects that we help people break through on. And so sticking with getting past fears, the next one I want to move on to that you are so dang good at is sales. You know, people struggle with the idea of sales or being a, quote, salesperson or making a sale. And it has everything to do with why I have this podcast brand. And that is it's their money mindset that is tripping them up. You know, it's this genuine struggle for asking for and receiving money. So help people feel a little bit better about selling. I just think it's so ironic when people are like, I don't like sales, sales. And I'm sitting there going like, okay, so right now you have to understand that you are selling me on the reality that you don't like sales. <laughs> the irony. It's amazing. It's incredibly ironic. And I, and I just ask them, I say to them, I say, I say, don't you understand that all sales is? Sales is merely an elegant conversation to help people get to, a, to an end result from which they can benefit. That's it. That's all it is. And we are constantly selling. But here's the reality. Every day you wake up, you are selling yourself on why you can or cannot do something. And so if sales is your block and you're like, I don't want to sell anything, then that's fine. That's fine. But then there can't come a complaint that you're not living the lifestyle that you want to live because watch a show like Shark Tank after all the presenting is done. And after all the bells and whistles happen, the number one question the sharks always ask is what are your sales? Yep. What are your sales? And it's not about the money that sales generates. It's about the conversation about your brand and about what, how you want to be represented in the world that makes sales so important. And the other reality is this, is that I'm proud to be a professional salesperson. I'm proud of it because when you learn the skills of a professional salesperson, you learn the ability to influence people to do things that they otherwise wouldn't do due to their own limitations and their own fears. And so if you're really if you're really, really serious about wanting to make an impact on people, then you have to understand what triggers people, what sets them off, what you need to do to unlock their unconscious mind so they are willing to take a new action so they can have a new result in their lives. Otherwise, you get to be a spectator and that's okay too. Wow. In other words, you better be that loving nudge. In order, like, that is, I feel like we all have this duty to be the loving nudge to help people make decisions that they wouldn't normally make anyways. How does the world get better if we don't? I know. If we all just sit there out of fear on our hands and not bother to try and help somebody in a convincing manner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So sales is a great segue into money. And before you said uh, earlier in the interview that you just view money as a tool, why do you think people struggle so much 
with this concept of money? Why do so many people have such limiting beliefs around money mindset? I think that we're, I think for the same reasons that they have limiting beliefs around a variety of other things. And it's just this unconditioned, it's just this, it's this unconscious programming that we experience. We make decisions about things from a, from a very young age. And then we start to look at life through this very specific lens based on our limited information, or our limited experience. And so you might have had the experience where, and when I say you, I mean the people that are listening, obviously, where you know, you observed your mom and dad always fighting over money. And so you established a belief at a very young age with complete ignorance, quite frankly, that says, if I have a lot of money, then I'm going to fight with my partner. And if you just think about that for a moment, to make that decision as a, say, two-year-old, a four-year-old, a six-year-old, even an eight-year-old, right? Can you imagine, imagine for a second, your own child or your niece or nephew coming to you at five or six years old and saying, money's bad. I don't ever want to have money. I want to be broke and I want to struggle for the rest of my life. What would you tell the kid? You tell the kid that's completely illogical. You don't want that. And you would hopefully, hopefully help guide the kid. And so I just, I would invite you to take a real deep look around why you believe what you believe around money. And then also understand that money is an energy. This is really important. One of the most powerful money mindset questions. And I've Honestly, Chris, I've been waiting to come on your podcast so I could serve this question up for a long time. <laughs> right? I was asked this question a long time ago. And they said, and I'll just I'll pass it along to the listeners. If you were, if if money were a person, if you if money were a person and you were in a relationship with that person, how would you describe your relationship? Whoa. Mm-hmm. If money were a person and you were in a relationship with that person, how would you describe your relationship? How would you describe yours? Mine? Yep. Oh, wonderful, um, collaborative, creative, spontaneous, fun, loyal, trustworthy, exciting, abundant, ever flowing, ever flowing is how I would describe my relationship with money. And how'd you get there? Because I saw what wasn't working in my life. I saw that my relationship with money, and this is where that question is so powerful, because no matter what your answer is to that question, look around at your relationships, and it's probably the same answer. And so when I got right with my relationship with myself, in terms of not being a good shepherd with myself, I wasn't a good shepherd with my relationships. When I looked at the reality that I was showing up in ego in my relationship with money, I wasn't caring for it because money is just an energy and we're in a relationship with that energy. So if you think about it for a second, right? So my answer to the question, when I first was asked that question, it was so poignant at that timing in my life. My answer to the question at the time, Chris, was on the rocks. Wow. It felt like it was on the rocks. Well, guess what happened two weeks later? Two weeks later, I called off that wedding because my relationship was on the rocks. Wow, that's fascinating that they can go hand in hand like that. Energy's everything. I've ever quite linked that. Energy's everything. And so I would just say, like, get right with your relationship with money. Because if you say, uh, for example, if, if you wrote down the answer to that question, you wrote down, you know, always needing more. Think about that for a second. If you were in a relationship with a, with a man or a woman and they were always needing more, they were super needy, how much would you want to be around that person? So why would money want to be around you if you're constantly needing it and not appreciating it? It's just an energetic relationship. So what do you say to the people who still have not bought into this quote, energy or energetic relationship? How do you kind of start to enroll them in seeing this as fact? 
Um, I just ask, I just say, are you open to the possibility that what you've been doing thus far isn't working? And if that has not been working, why not try something else on, right? Yeah. And if they say I'm open, then great. Like let, let's put in some, let's then, then from then, then we can implement some new, some new ideas and some new actions into their life and some new tools, quite frankly, to start to really go to work on reprogramming the both the conscious way that we look at money and then the unconscious way that we that we are in relationship to that money. And there's some techniques. There's some really cool techniques that I've learned from different books and some things I've kind of made up on my own and um, that, that are extremely effective. And I, I, I can't remember the last time I ever felt um, anxious about money or like there wouldn't be enough money or that it wasn't constantly in, in circulation to me ever. I, can't, I really can't remember the last time. It's been years ever since I reprogrammed. So your relationship with money is obviously highly evolved and in a really good spot. Are you done working on that relationship or is there work to do? Well, that'd be like me asking you if you're done working on your relationship with yourself. Yeah, never. It's always an ongoing verb. And as a byproduct, would you, are you done working on your relationship in your marriage? No, never. Never, because you're committed to that relationship. So it would be arrogant of me to stop working on my relationship with money, just like it'd be arrogant of me to stop working on my relationship with myself or with my wife or with my, my, my partners or my team. It'd be arrogant of me. And I know that arrogance is what landed me on my mom's couch. So I will choose um, openness and I will choose investigation and I will choose self-reflection over arrogance and ego every day of the week. Wow, I wish you could see the smile on my face right now. That is going to be the quote that we're putting on all the tiles, that we're putting on all the audios. Like that right there was the bomb. That was insane. So speaking of you continuing to work on your relationship in every aspect of your life, what's next for you? Like what what are you not taking action on that one day soon you will be? The books I'm supposed to write. Yeah, we're all sitting around waiting with empty hands, by the way. <laughs> I know, and I knew that question was coming. <laughs> Yeah, the book. I, I think the book I get to the book books plural that I get to write, and the um, I think some of the some of the talks I get to give on a on a public basis outside of um, of the network marketing world for sure. You know, that's definitely what's next. I don't know when. I'm also just trusting that process. You know, which we. That's up a good question. Some people say, "Call your shot," or it's not going to happen. And other people say, "Trust the process and go with the flow." Which what is the right answer? Because they always feel like opposites to me. I'm not really big on like right and wrong, as I think you know about me. Yeah, me neither. I, here's here's what I believe. I, I'm a really big believer. Like my for me, for me personally, it's surrender and trust the process. I literally have a tattoo on my bicep that says surrender, which you've seen. You know, so like for me, it's learning to trust that process and it's learning to trust myself within the process. I think that's so important. Um, because what I've what I've seen is, and there's a quote that I love, which is when we make plans, God laughs. Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't plan and strategize and take action on certain things. But I also believe that, and this is something I learned from my dad. I was so funny. I was just going to make a, a post about this today. My grandfather owned a hardware store for 55 years when he immigrated here from Russia with no money in his pocket. The guy could fix anything. Taught my dad how to fix anything. My brother could also fix anything. Me, I couldn't screw a screw into, into a wall. <laughs> this is me and my family, by the way. So, but I always used to observe my dad teaching my brother how to fix things. And my dad would always say to my brother, don't force it. Don't force it. And for so much of my life, because I was a competitive athlete also, and I was just such a driver in my life, I just would force so much. And 
I would force things as opposed to learn how to flow with things. And that doesn't mean that I just sit in my office and like sit on the ground meditating, hoping stuff's going to fall in my lap. Right. But it's learning how to take action with things that are in alignment that really do feel good for me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I can't say what's right or what's wrong. I can only say what's worked for me. I know that before when I would try and force things, I found myself resenting what I was doing. But when I learn to just kind of surrender and allow myself to be filled up with things that inspire me and feel good, that's when I produce my greatest work. So that's why I'm confident in saying, when you say what's next, I'm confident in saying that books and books are coming. I just don't know what it's going to look like or when it's going to come. But I do trust that when it comes, it's going to come from a, such a place of deep inspiration that it feels good while I'm doing it. Could you maybe just hurry up that flow a little bit? I'll, I'll, I'll do my, I'll turn on the fountain as fast as I can put a little bit of uh, urgency behind the flow, so to speak. We're all sitting here empty-handed waiting for your books and your brilliance. All right, last couple of questions for you. And these are actually signature questions. They're on every single podcast, and I love the different answers I get. Uh, the first one is, what is one of your all-time favorite moments of giving? Just one of them. It's meant to inspire others to give maybe in a similar way. One of the most, God, I'll, I'll tell you, my my, one of my, it was probably into this day is my favorite is the night that I was, that Eden and I were at the Unstoppable Foundation Gala with you and Lori. And you remember at the dinner? Of course I do. Absolutely. And it was the first time where there was a high ticket. You know, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was, a, I think it was a, it was like $15,000 to sponsor 70 children or whatever. And Eden just looked at me and without ever having to think about it, I was able to say yes. Mm, I love that. That was just awesome. So that like to me, like, and, and, and not because like, not, not because of like, yes, because of the impact, but also just to be in, to, to have worked so hard to get myself to a place again with my relationship with money and to a place of abundance where we could just say yes to really impacting and blessing people. Like that to me was so cool. And then there's a lot of things that I've done from a giving place that I love that like don't require money. You know, I've gone and just sat in parks and, and spoken with people you know, and just spend time with, with homeless. And just a lot of times you'd be amazed. Like they don't really want money. They just want people that will love them. You know, you know, two things. One, I love that we got to share that moment with you. And two, what you just said is so important. Like if you're not exercising your giving muscle now while you don't have money, and that means giving in any way that you can give, then you're probably not going to be much of a giver later, are you? Yeah. I mean, I think they, I, there's an old cliche quote, but the cliches exist for a reason, which is just that money makes you more of who you are. Yeah, that is absolutely for sure. All right. So before I ask you the last signature question, where can we follow you? Where can we find you? Where's the best place to keep in touch? You cannot follow me. I am on this mission on every podcast that I'm interviewed on every summit. I do not want followers. I cannot stand that term, <laughs> but you can, you can walk beside me um, on Instagram at, um, at Zach Slobin and on Facebook at Zach Slobin. Um, those are probably the two best places where you can walk beside me. I love it. I love that uh, perspective there as well. Maybe we can lobby Instagram to change it to instead of followers. What would it be like? Sidewalkers? Yeah, just side like hustlers? Like, yeah, like, oh, side hustlers is good. Side hustlers. <laughs> walk I just, I don't know. There's just, I do, I just, I struggle with the term followers because people get so consumed by like how many followers they have. And then people just start following people based on how many followers they have. And I just want to heed fair warning. Hitler had followers too, you know, not necessarily. <laughs> Thing. And, I, and I'm not saying that's a joke. Like, it's really important. Like, all these people get put on a pedestal, and it's just, and the minute you put someone on a pedestal, you chop off your own legs, you know? And I just, no one's above you, no one's below you. Just, you know, look to your left, look to your right. Like, we're all on the same level. 
Man, yeah. that is so true. It's such good in such good advice. Last question. Why should people be unapologetic about their pursuit of wealth and success? <laughs> That's such a good question. That's such a good question. I mean, you can either you can either um, you can either own your limitations or you can own your life. I love that. Own your limitations or own your life. Isn't that the truth? It's just that simple. I mean, like, look, at the end of the day, I literally, I just made a video about this the other day. Here's, here's the reality. At some point, this is just, and if this, if this just, if this kicks people or, 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 or irritates them or whatever, then good. At some point, you're going to have the opportunity in your life where the people that you love, the people that you care about, the people that you say you're doing this for are going to look at you and they're going to thank you. They're going to thank you for playing big. They're going to thank you for taking risks. They're going to thank you for leaving your tribe so you can create a new one. They're going to thank you for doing the work. They're going to thank you for stretching. They're going to thank you for breaking the mold because you, by you doing that, by you taking that kind of sustained, consistent, and persistent action, you've created a life of your, the life of your dreams, inspired them to create the life of theirs, and allowed them to live a life that they otherwise wouldn't have been able to live because of your action or, or, you're gonna to have to look them in the eye and explain to them why you didn't. Wow. God, we really are obligated to play big, aren't we? I mean, we're gonna die anyway. You might as well get in the batter's box and go down swinging, like, geez. God, see, and that's why I resonate with you so much. That's why I enjoy every single moment, whether it's in person or whether it is virtual like this that I get to spend with you. Zach, I can't thank you enough. Thank you for being on. Thank you for being willing to touch on so many subjects. Thank you for being vulnerable. And thank you for all of the awesome breakthroughs that you just provided for everybody. Well, I, again, like I said, man, I'm, I'm just so proud of you and everything you've created. And I just know how many lives you're, you're impacting because of your vision. And I saw this start as a little seed and to see the way that it's blossoming, blossoming, that's a new word, blossoming, <laughs> what you and Lori are doing together. And it's just, it's just awesome. You guys lead from the front and that's, um, that's why I'm, I'm grateful to be in a relationship with you. So thank you for all you do and all the blessings that you and Lori have been in, in our lives for the last, uh, five years or so now. And I'm just continuing, I'm just excited to see where, uh, where you guys go and you know the number of lives that you guys continue to bless. So thanks for having me be a part of this, man. Me too, man. Me too. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.